I mean, I gave up what most would consider a really awesome offer from, from Amazon. And at some point, actually, you know them, a VC that was launching in, in San Francisco to do this. Like this was this, like, I felt very, very called and drawn to creating something on this continent. And so I, I moved back to do it. And I didn't want to give my, what I considered at the time, my best early years of, you know, crazy work hours to something else when I could be doing this. Welcome to the Paint and Pipette podcast. My name is Jeremy Utley, and it's my job to illuminate the tactics of world-class performers across domains. As a day job, I teach at the Stanford D School, helping students learn what it takes to come up with ideas. But I've realized I need to stay in the classroom learning myself. And this podcast is my classroom. Hey, hey, I'm Marcus Hollinger. I lead marketing and creative at Reach Records and Atlanta-based independent record label. And I'm also co-founder for Portrait Coffee, where we are seeking to reimagine the picture that comes to mind for folks in specialty coffee. I'm so excited to pull up my desk alongside my good friend and fellow learner, Jeremy. And I think y'all are gonna love what we have for you this season. We've got some amazing stories on deck and we can't wait to dive in and learn alongside you. So grab your pipette and your paintbrush and let's make something beautiful together. Today we talk with JR Kanu, the founder and CEO of Reach, a technology company based in Lagos, Nigeria. JR tells us about how he made the decision to leave a safe career path and build his own venture. He talks to us about his incredible vision to make his homeland the kind of place people want to come visit and the importance that role models have played in shattering boundaries and raising his career ambitions and level of expectations of the kind of impact that he wants to have on the world. It's an amazing conversation that touches upon things like faith versus fear, conversations that change the trajectory of a business, support systems like wives and families. You're going to love it. I'm excited for you to listen. Hearing about J.R. Kanu's story today was super inspiring. Someone who's, you know, who's, who's left the safety net of corporate America with a lot of promising career opportunities to, to go back home and build an economy, right? And, and to build systems that help make the homeland where he's from more attractive to other people. And I think just his perspective to, and also his like desire and self-awareness to know that like, yeah, it's, it's about providing solutions to help better the continent, but also in a way that's like sustainable for business. So just his self-awareness, I think a lot of good conversations, learn a lot from him. Let's dive in. So JR, maybe just by way of introduction, would you, for folks who aren't familiar with you or your work, would you just give us the brief 30-second introduction? All right, my name, JR Kanu, and I am the founder of a company called Reach. No relation to Reach Records, for the record. And Reach is a tech company founded in Lagos, Nigeria, and we help young people figure out their personal finances and their career period. And this the kind of the driving force behind it for me now is the realization that after basic health, figuring out what little money you have in many cases for people who live on the African continent and honestly just like black people period, but figuring out what little money you have, like how to stretch it to make it work and also how to figure out the tips and tricks to 
make more of it is really, really important. So tell us, how long has Reach have you been running the business and what's the scale of your audience now? Reach was started in 2016, 2016. To tell the story, I think I should probably start at the beginning by saying Reach was meant to be the super cool credit scoring algorithm. The plan was to become like a TransUnion or Equifax, figuring out how to, like taking a lot of transaction data and deciding whether or not a person is credit worthy. And so at the beginning, the way we started off by looking at our users, because we collect this data through an app because we give people this free app to figure out their finances. And on the back end, we're creating this algorithm. In the beginning, it was all about the credit scoring algorithm. So we're like, it's good that we have the personal finance stuff there, but we're a company, we're corporate, we have goals. We want to be big boys and big girls. Let's let's go do the thing. You know, we're building algorithm, 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 algorithm. And then people start asking questions. And they're asking questions about how they should, you're, you're telling me all this stuff about my spending, but how should I be spending? Like, it's great you're telling me that I'm not doing it well, but like, how, how should I be spending? And I'm sure we'll get to the meat of that later, but the product is accessible across Africa, but our biggest markets, our biggest concentrations of people are in Nigeria, Ghana, and Kenya. And that's, again, you're thinking algorithm, I need to go to those markets so I can build out the, the credit side. And then people start asking you life questions and you realize that you'd be kind of not a nice person if you don't figure out how to answer those life questions, given that they are helping you build your company. So you start a- answering these life questions. And next thing you know, you're writing a book about it. Next thing they're asking you more questions. And next thing you know, you're... So one thing leads to another. And today, Reach is actually... We've hit pause on lending because we strongly and firmly believe that people need to understand their personal finances before anyone comes to give credit. And it's really dangerous and like potentially perverse incentives to give credit to people who are not ready or who are not aware of what's going on really when they get credit. And so today we are a group of about 100,000 people across the continent. 64,000 of them are under the age of 35. And so like considered by all counts, like youth so I think maybe a different way to think of this is like just on the continent in general, of which we are a subset, four out of five people are younger than the age of the age of um, 35. Three in four, about 75%, are taking care of someone who is not a child of theirs. We joke about the black tax. If you are black, you've probably heard of this. If you aren't black, welcome to this world. Wow. But it's this idea wow. that it takes a village to raise a child. But then eventually the child needs to raise the village. And so it's this, it's really difficult for a lot of black communities across the world to build generational wealth that gets passed down because you're often having to support the people who helped you get to where you are. And that's not a bad thing, but sometimes in general, no one is planning for the black tax. No one is telling you how to deal with it. And so I think that's one of the things that also holds people in those cycles, just financial rigidity. So one question I got to ask is how long were people asking you questions before you decided you need to answer them? I mean, you talked about <laughs> it was all algorithm, algorithm, algorithm. At what point, because I, I find in my interactions with founders, a lot of times they go, actually, people have been asking us for this for a long time and we just finally got around to doing it, you know, and that's the real I'm business. not proud. I'm so yeah. not proud of this. Tell us, tell us about it what it was like to like, to be thinking you were building one thing, be hearing, you know, and you got to like, on the one hand, an entrepreneur's got to be focused. On the other hand, you got to be adaptive, right? So how, do, how did you strike that balance? What was it like for you? It took us probably four out of the five years I've been alive. But we answered, we started answering them in two years. So it took us two years to start answering. So we had a newsletter. And then 
responses to, to the newsletter led us to writing a book. So after three years, we wrote a book, but we were still trying to push the credit scoring thing. And then 2020 hit, and then we saw just how devastating, well, two things, how devastating COVID was for people because there's just, they hadn't built any kind of safety net. And those who had been listening to us were like, yo, thanks, because we made it. We're not crushed by COVID because we were planning. So thank you for that. So I was like, okay, man, maybe there's something here. But then when the investment dollars dried up for lending and people who were relying on that as the way they think about how to do life. I'm learning more and more in every plan. Like you have to have a plan, but you don't hold it so tight where you're blinded by things around you that are changing. So you have to kind of like huddle up plans. You have to have a, kind of have like a wink I like, okay, what is, what's really going on over there? And it, it takes humility to, to just even have that self-awareness. It happens all the time on my side, man. Like, don't, be, don't hold your plans so tight. So, love it, man. I like that hum- the point of humility. That's so true. I know you mentioned to me when we were chatting on the phone the other day, how your wife, who's from New York, is that right? Yep. So your wife, she wasn't sure about the whole Nigeria thing when you guys came, Mm -hmm. but then you talked about how at some point you became unsure of the business and she was the one who was encouraging you. Right. Does that intersect with these realizations at all? And if so, how? So my wife is super, I mean, she's fantastic. Anyone who meets her loves her. I'm the lucky one who got to marry her. When we were dating, she came to visit. And I mean, if you've heard about Lagos, Lagos is powerful. It's vibrant. I mean, all the great music is coming out of there now, just saying. But also when you are coming from the structure and predictability of life in you know, Westchester, um, you're like, hey, excuse me, what's going on here? Why exactly is this happening? <laughs> Imagine they're that different. <laughs> but so both of us are believers or people of faith. And like one of the first things you learn to do is not to live by fear. Like, If there's anything I'm ever going to take away from having faith, it's I cannot make decisions based on fear. I don't want to live that way. It's too short-sighted. And so I said to her, listen, I'm I'm, I'm not forcing you. I'm not saying, you know, this is not an ultimatum, but I do need you to figure out internally if this is motivated by facts or fear. Like, what is it about this that is so, you know, like scary? And if it is scary, does that mean it's a no? And essentially, because I, I felt and continue to feel very called to building a company that serves the African consumer. I mean, Reach is actually a U.S. company because I still do see myself in many ways as, as very, very connected to the U.S. And so I was like, the drive is for the, the audience, is for the African consumer. I was letting her know, I was like, this is, this is where I am. This is what I think I'm meant to be doing. I mean, I gave up what most would consider a really awesome offer from, from Amazon. And at some point, actually, you know them, a VC that was launching in, in San Francisco to do this. Like this was this, like, I felt very, very called and drawn to creating something on this continent. And so I, I moved back to do it. And I didn't want to give my, what I considered at the time, my best early years of, you know, crazy work hours to something else when I could be doing this. And she had a lot of talks with her friends and her mentors and came around and said, you know, this is, we're going to do this because she actually had a lot of peace about the decision. Like my wife, like I said, great extrovert. She has all the, she literally runs our social calendar in Lagos and I just come along for the ride. But then in, I think 20, at the end of 2020, when things just had gone really, really south. So this is when we had realized that this credit thing is not where we're going to be. And I was like, you know what? We've done this thing. We've given it our best shot. Time for America. Let's go. Let's leave. Let's pack up. Let's go. And she was then the one who said, mission, vision, 
big picture calling. Ouch. I, 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 Ouch. I don't think this is. Uh, I don't think this is how this goes. I don't think this wow. is the end of the story for so you wait, guys. So she gave you a little bit of your medicine, like the whole oh, yeah. faith and fear thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I think, and, and her thing was also like, if you do this, you will not like yourself. The person you become, wow. I don't want to see that person because I know how you are when you are alive with stuff. And if you let fear or, you know, defeat translate itself into your choice, you won't like yourself. That's super, like, just amazing to see, like, you had a very steady offer at Amazon, right? The fact that you were just able to just take that leap is just, it's unconventional. But I feel like there is something about, like, the new age creative, the new age creative entrepreneur, where, like, they are rejecting some of the standards of success that have been placed on us. Not that some of those standards aren't good for most people, but it seemed like something in you was, like, great, thankful, but I'm creatively wired. For more. I don't want to put myself up as like that cool guy because that was 2014. It wasn't an easy ride, but 2020 was just, you know, it was like blow after blow. Like what else can possibly go wrong? And, you know, Jeremy can speak to this. We've had our five-year business school reunion and you're hearing how much everybody else is earning and you know what you gave up to be here. And all of that stuff starts to sit and you're like, I moved my wife from a really awesome career to a fraction of what she's earning. There's just a lot of like, what are you thinking? Why are you doing this? Why is this the choice that you are making that you start to question? And I would say that's where I was come 2020. So it was easy. The hope of what might be was easy to drive the decision to say no to an offer back then. And other things that like built it up well. Like I have a brother who is 12 years younger and I've been away from Nigeria for so long. I barely had a relationship with him. So I really wanted this. So there were other things that drove me to be here. But then, you know, right. what is that? Six years later when everything is coming apart, you're like, does this still make sense? And I don't know that I can say my courage was as strong as it was in 2014 as in 2020. Right. I still think there is something about like generally people who like step outside of that box have a creative perspective in them, right? Because they're they're like, hey, I could either paint this building, build a building. So there's it takes a little bit of creativity, obviously courage, yes. But even if I can just park that for a second, talk to us a little, a little bit about your knack for creating something, right, and building something that kind of oh that kind of oh I, I, okay. So I think I better understand the question. So yes, to my mind. If I figured this out, I could actually create something that would mean a lot more than what I would be doing. So I think it's about the meaning it would have, not just for me, but the shorthand I would use back then, and I guess still was, I really want people to come visit me. You know, like the way I looked at most relationships with the African continent was one of, well, it's either like super exotic and far away, or I just, I, or I need to escape. So if you are a visitor, then you're a tourist and it's exotic and you get to enjoy stuff. If you are from here, many people from here want to escape and go to life somewhere else. And I don't want to have my entire existence be of my children looking at where I'm from and being like, man, that's that exotic place, or I don't want to end up living there or, or just like having negative connotations because the people who I noticed had really good experiences and linkages with their homeland, if it was an African homeland, tended to be people whose parents were entrepreneurial, who had built something and created a new reality in the midst of what might seem like a lot of dysfunction. And using that 
short-sighted lens to compare African nations to the rest of the world, given everything that we've been saddled with to create the economies and the democracies we have today, longer conversation. So I don't think, mm. it, I mean, but we don't, we don't get to deal with those realities. Everyone's looking at us like, what the hell's wrong with, you know, with your part of the world? Why, why aren't you getting it right? And so for me, the one way to shut some of those conversations down was here's what oh, we did with very little. That, that is amazing. And one last point, Jeremy, where I wanted to, cause I, when I said I was going to be in Lagos, I actually had to pivot and be in UK. We had to meet with an artist who actually from Nigeria, who was living in Lagos, who is a creative entrepreneur, who is an artist. And he made this point. And I think what you're building with Reach is super inspiring. He said most of the young, and he's 25, 26. He said most of the young people in Nigeria are trying to get out of Nigeria. Yeah. What you're building is like, and look, everybody has their own course, but fleeing to broader waters and settling here in the West, you're actually coming back and saying, hey, I want to create solutions, creative solutions for this region, for people of color, for Africans specifically, to provide a better runway for them 20, 30 years from now. That is, yeah, that's just super dope, man. I wrote this down in my notes and I put stars all over it. One of the best ways to shut down some of those conversations is to say, Ta-da. And I, I love the, I wish the fingers could be captured. Not, there's no, there's no bad finger. They're jazz hands. What JR did was jazz hands, right? Tell me, what did you observe? You said that people who had a good relationship with their homeland had parents who were entrepreneurs. Can you tell us about the people you had observed that with? Because yeah. that seems like that was like an interesting point of inspiration. And I'd love to hear also how it manifested in your mind as a ta-da moment at some point, but we can get to that. What was the particular family person that inspired you and how did you see their relationship was different? So this realization grew over time. I had just finished NYU in a different life. I was a journalist. And again, maybe because I don't like to listen to good advice, I was like, I will not be joining my beloved magazine, Black Enterprise, just yet. I want to go and travel around Africa and meet different people because I just had this itch that I wanted to understand. Because I had left when I was 17 and most of my kind of like adulting life was starting to happen mostly in the US. And I was just like feeling more and more disconnected. So I visited Tunisia first. And this is before Arab Spring. And, you know, people weren't really free to speak. And the, the young people I was meeting you could feel it. It just wasn't free in that sense. And people were really careful about what they were saying to this American sounding Nigerian. And then I visited Ethiopia. And again, that sense wasn't there. Then I visited Kenya and Kenya and Ethiopia, like they're so close, but like the feeling, the vibe, it was just like night and day. And there I met people whose parents were more in the, I guess not civil servants, definitely not, but like just were better off economically. Their parents were running some kind of NGO or they're running a university, which I guess is also a nonprofit. And then I went to South Africa and the people that I had met happened to be more entrepreneurial. A lot of that was happening in Joburg and in Cape Town. And I had this friend and his dad had built this really, really cool business. So I met him at a conference, an African business conference. And then he was like, hey, come visit me in South Africa. And you could just like, there's this pride of come see what we built, come see what we have, come see what we've done. Come and I was like, um, huh, wow. that's, th- that is what I want my kids someday to feel about telling his or her friends. In this case, I do have yeah. a son. So telling his friends, Hey, come see what we've done. Come see, you know, how we live. Like, so that was like the first time it happened. And then from there, the big 
one happened in Ghana. So in Ghana, I met these, I think they were cousins. And it's, it's been a while, so I don't fully remember. But her business is still running. I believe it's Christy Brown, Ghana. And she had just started. She had, she had moved, I think, from D.C. or Maryland. And she was starting this fashion line, which is, you know, it's, it's great to see that like 10 years later, it's still running. And she had that same, we're going to create something. It's going to speak about who we are, what we love. It's going to be iconic. And so that, that if I could bottle that up and sell it, that would be the thing. Because it gives you the goosebumps. You know when we talked about your um, game-changing statement? Like, yeah, it was yeah, that. I'm just like, yeah. that is the thing. That that goosebump-inducing, I guess, ta-da, again, look what I've done with this place that others mm. don't see, but I've seen and I've created something remarkable. So that, for me, was very important. And then by then, it just became a pattern recognition thing of noticing those connections but yeah those are the i would say the key moments that launched that for me super dope man just to understand like i think there's something about seeing other models man of success what's possible i think someone mentioned to me um before like a four minute mile was just impossible less than 100 years ago but until that record was broken eventually everybody started now everyone's breaking. still in yeah <laughs> And it's just like seeing, and I think that's what's important with what you're building in Africa. What do you feel like the long-term benefits or impact will be? You're essentially putting your footprint as, as an entrepreneur, as a creative entrepreneur. What are some of those like down the road impacts continentally or locally? That you feel like so I'm going to go ahead and do this the old-fashioned way, which is the raison d'etre, right? Like why we do what we're doing. I'm going to go full on presentation mode and just talk to you about why I think this matters and how we're going to do it. So with everything I've said to you about like how adulting is like, I don't even need to be a believer. It's just a fact, right? Because we live in the information age where those who have can access information faster. If we don't do something, that gap between those who don't have and those who have will only keep going wider and wider and wider. If I want to commit my, my life's work to helping people who may not have access, close that gap for themselves or reduce the speed at which that gap is growing, and there are a few things that need to happen. Now, long term, I don't want these graphs, I don't want these numbers to be this way. So people living in extreme poverty at 34%, but that's one in three. We don't need the world to look this way. And then the next batch of people are earning under $300 a day. That's 10 bucks. Like literally what you spend for lunch is what someone makes an entire day and we can definitely do better because what kind of quality of life are you living? What kind of human flourishing is there if you are constantly in survival mode? Like at what point do you get to be your best self if you are only ever thinking about how to make the next meal? And yeah, when you eventually do escape that danger zone of you know falling into, in, into poverty, it's a lot harder to fall backwards than to move forward. And I'm just like, can we fix that? Can technology and good design and drive, can, can we actually fix that? And then at the very, very top, what does that look like? Because if only 2% of the population on the African continent right now is earning $3,000 or more, and yes, they are the rich people of the continent, imagine if we could actually shift some of these numbers in a way that people are able to, like you said, dream, imagine what can happen. Because how many great human ideas and inventions and game change, like whatever, like it's not just about the money. It's, it's about humanity being trapped in spending so much time trying to survive that we miss out on all the creativity and, 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 mm -hmm. and everything. So when I talk about why this matters, 
I don't see these numbers changing because demographically, we will continue to be a very young continent. And in fact, the beauty of what I'm finding, though, is, and maybe I have this right now because my wife is African-American and I'm Nigerian, the Black experience, it's different, it's diverse, but at like on an economic level, it's actually very similar across the board, right? Like when you look at like the Black population of the United States, it's really young compared to the rest of the country. Same thing on the continent here. You see that it's 80% under 35. What's happening with, like, who is taking care of the older population? It's the younger population. Or the fact that people need to figure out work and figure it out quickly, or else, because you don't have an uncle or an aunt who got into investment banking or consulting, you may never know what those things are or whatever great opportunities there are to, to do stuff. I don't know what I'm looking at, I should be looking over here. And then finally, the more people we have creating businesses, the more people we're employing, the faster we can actually ship some of those numbers around. So long-term, Ace, I want to see these numbers. I mean, I don't see them changing, but I want to see the meaning change. I want to see these businesses be able to employ more people and give people better incomes that can change their lives. I want to see more people able to act. Like We're starting to see the shift where, especially in tech, young Africans are able to move anywhere on the planet and get good work because they're, like, they're just so talented. We're, we're finding out as if we didn't know before, like, come on. Like, there's a lot of talent being, you know, like, ignored on the continent. What does that look like when the whole world realizes that? I am going to pause my, my preaching at that point and ask if that answers your question. 1,000, 1 trillion, amazing. You're looking at things from a very zoomed out lens, you know what I mean? And I think that's helpful. And you're saying, hey, whether we change the world as an ambitious Employ, we're going to focus on what we can't control and create moments of impact at this level and try to do our part. And I think that just the way you're thinking as an entrepreneur is that's how we create better systems that are sustainable versus looking at this giant mountain and saying, this is impossible. You're like, you know what? Consolidate these resources, these collaborations. Let's put our energy here. Let's move to Legos. Let's address it. Let's build economies. And this is going to you know, set a blaze for that one person that has that tech creativity that may not have been able to be discovered because of the system he's in. So I just, I like right, how you right, think. Right, right. You know? I will say that this level of one, one, the missional clarity, which we've identified started like last year. So there's a business design element that I don't think we talk about enough. And yeah, we had great tech and I know how to be a good product manager and a good designer and I can create great tech, but turning that into a viable money generating business is really hard. So I knew that we had great tech. The only outlet for that I saw was credit scoring because I was like, what else do you do with transaction information? What else do you do with understanding how money moves and blah, 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 blah. And it wasn't until, well, one, discarding that and then spending a lot of time. And I'm talking, I mean, it's taken nine months of several conversations with all kinds of people. And it wasn't until even recently that I understood my business as well as I think I now do, because I was talking to someone who was helping me see all the different things. And that was a network win. Like if I didn't have the kinds of networks that I do, I don't know that I would have, I would have ever had that conversation that helped me see the business so clearly and turn it into. So now when I, when I talk about reach, I see us as there's the app, there's our community, our content, 
that we help people see and imagine and, and, and we encourage and entertain. There's a research work. So now we do a lot of marketing and social research to help people understand what's happening in, I guess, in the marketplace and then the events that we create. But it took someone else looking into the business and me having access to that person that I could not afford, right? That's actually more because she is a friend. I know her, but yeah. So I know what we do well, to help. Creators. Well, we, we got to hear about that conversation and it's different from where I was going to take us to wrap, but maybe just in the last couple of minutes, you said that was a network win. Yeah. What do you mean that was a network win? And tell us, what did this person see and how did they see it in a way that brought you? Because you go in one way, you're closer than anybody. If anybody can see it, it's you. And yet we know that's not always true. So tell me what they saw that you didn't see and tell me what the circumstance was that enabled them to have a line of sight and speak truth to power, so to speak, to give you a new perspective. So this person, um, if you are listening to this, her name is Ifua, A-F-U-A, Osei, and she has great content on, um, on Instagram. She is all about partnerships. How do small companies work with big companies? And the big companies aren't doing you a favor. You are helping them achieve their goals. And so come to the room, come to the table equipped with that knowledge. And if you've been running a business for five years and you're thinking, I'm going to go do credit scoring. Well, it's fine. I don't need a lot of people. But when you pivot and you're thinking, well, I kind of need to you know, change my, my angle and do a lot more work around financial literacy and career development stuff. Then you're like, man, 100,000 is nothing. Oh my goodness. And so I spent a lot of the pivot time bemoaning what I thought was a small audience base. And she was like, wait, 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 wait. This pursuit of audience is ridiculous. What capabilities have you built? Let's start there because that is what you take to the table, regardless of the size of your audience. And that was the first perspective shift. And that I think- Well, how did you even get into that conversation, JR? If I had returned to Nigeria about the same, like we were both returning. I think we both finished our business school degrees at the same time and then moved back. And because we're all fresh B-school grads in Lagos, People are having parties. So you you meet, okay? Like it's one of those things. But would I have been in those networks if I hadn't gone to a business school? Probably not. So that's one of that's one of those things like that helps me be aware of just how lucky those of us who get these things can be. So that's one. And then two, we're friendly. We're on, on the same WhatsApp groups here and there. So we, we laugh at each other's jokes. And she's a cool person. I'm a cool person. We're nice to each other. So there's also that. And then she starts putting up this partnerships content on Instagram. And I'm like, this is really, really good. And so I'm just telling her, this is really, really good. Just because I think, it, you know, let's be encouraging. This is really great. You're, you're onto something here. When is your book dropping, essentially? And then when that shift is happening, I'm wondering, I wonder how she would see what I'm doing. Because I do think we need partnerships. But at the time, I really thought it was, I need to figure out how to do sales. I thought that was my problem. I thought sales was my problem. And so when I called her, I was like, hey, listen, I can't afford your, your fancy stuff because you know she, she's good and she should be expensive. But what can we figure out? What can we work out that makes sense? And she was like, hey, listen, I know you. Like, it's, I know it's really hard for many people to charge their friends. We know that as creatives, this is a thing that we all struggle with. She was like, we'll figure something out. But like, let's start with just what's going on. And so she listens. And I talk for an hour and a half. I'm talking like deep life. Here's what's going on. Here's the business. And... She comes back like a couple of days later. She's like, this is your business. That's how it happened. She was like, I think you have four arms to this business. I think that really the core of what, what drives you, like she did that. So it's almost like she 
did the empathy work and when to use design thinking speak. And then she did the unpacking and then was like, here are your, how might we say, but like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes, but it took me, I think I digested what she had done in a couple of maybe minutes. It took me a whole week. Cause I was like, how did I not see this? And then again, she was like, yo, what's the point of bemoaning, not seeing this? Let's just get to work. Like it's there now. Do you agree with it? Is that what, cause it's like, I had four different aspects of the business already built, pre-built, ready to go. And I just didn't know it. So yeah, that's where we are today. It's incredible. It's incredible. JR, we're huge fans of what you've done. We're in awe of your persistence and resilience and humility. And I love your dream. And I love seeing how doors have opened up as you have remained persistent, seeing how your wife helped you, seeing how the community has come around you and supported you. I'm really excited to see you achieve your vision. It's it's an incredible vision you've got. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. 